It's funny. People always be like, don't forget about the little people. It's like, why do they refer themselves as little anyway, you know? Why don't you just get big with me? Feel They can see it in my eyes. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of John's Entitled Podcast, a partner of MoshPitNation.com. This week's guest is Mike Shulara of This Is Hell, Extinction AD, and Light the Torch fame. Uh, This conversation has been a little bit of a a long time coming. Uh, I've been trying to get Mike on the podcast for a little while, uh, but he's been currently busy with his day job and as well as the Extinction AD tour that they were on with Darkest Hour. And then in the midst of getting everything lined up, uh, it was announced that Mike was now the new drummer for Light the Torch, which is Howard Jones' uh, band that used to be known as Devil You Know. Uh, So I figured it was going to be a little bit harder to actually get him uh, in light of the new band that he was a part of. But Mike was super awesome, and we got this all set up, and uh, it was a really fun chat. Kind of goes a little all over the place. Um, We discuss a little bit about uh, what got him into music. Uh, He also has a fun story about how he does wedding gigs uh, as a percussionist with a DJ doing, you know, wedding stuff and songs and so forth, Uh, as well as... You know, I get to learn how he got his nickname of Scuzz, uh, which is it's, it's pretty funny and disgusting at the same time. And, uh, you know, we just kind of go through a lot of different stuff. I will preface and say uh, this was about an hour and a half total. Uh, I whittled some stuff out at the end. And if you want to hear it, uh, go over to the YouTube page. Uh, it's just simply Johnson Title Podcast on YouTube. I'm going to just throw the whole thing up there. Good or bad or indifferent, uh, I think it's a little bit cooler to maybe get like the full unedited uh, conversation that we had. And, uh, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I cut out that's mainly about sports talk. Uh, as you'll end up hearing, one of the things that I enjoy about following uh, Mike on face- Facebook anyway is uh, his constant use of sports memes. Uh, as an avid sports fan, I always appreciate what he ends up sharing uh, and usually end up sharing them myself. So it's one of those things where we just kind of got a little bit into a, a pretty deep dive into basketball stuff, uh, playoffs, uh, a little bit about hockey, a little bit about uh, the NFL as well. So kind of hit you know the big three sports there. I figured maybe for time's sake, people may get you know not as interested into that part of the conversation. So if you want to hear what's not in this, head over to the YouTube page. All that being said, uh, we kind of get into, like I said, a lot of different things. Uh, one of the more interesting things to me about Mike, though, is uh, through being friends on Facebook, is uh, seeing you know him discuss his his actual day to day job. And uh, I'm not really going to give too much away about that, but it's definitely the the other side of things that I think is uh, really interesting is getting to know the person and, and kind of the different career maybe that they have than from the personality that they are known for for being a band person. And Mike definitely has a, a job that uh, I think is very commendable. And, you know, it's not something that a lot of people know a lot about. Uh, and I feel like it's a, a pretty interesting thing. So I was really excited to talk to Mike about that as well as just the, you know, the band stuff. So I'm going to stop yammering because this is a long chat. So here is my conversation with Mike Shulara of Light the Torch, Extinction AD, and This is Hell.
pleasure this evening of talking to Mike Shulara, a.k.a. Charming Scuzz, a.k.a. Scuzz, of This Is Hell, <laughs> Extinction AD, and now currently of Light the Torch. I don't know if Endwell is still a thing, but I'll fucking throw that in there, too. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, to some people it might be. Um, how are you doing this evening? Not bad, not bad. Just uh, snowed in and off work for the day, so just hanging out, relaxing finally for a little bit. So. It's so fucking weird to hear someone that's not in the Midwest being dealing with snow issues. Dude, every Wednesday, <laughs> every Wednesday for the past three weeks, minimum eight inches. Like, like clockwork, every Wednesday for the last three weeks. I don't get it. It's absurd. It's kind of terrible. Well, at least, I will say, at least, like, you're yeah. not in an area, though, that's, like, like, a friend of mine went to, I think it was, uh, somewhere on the East Coast that, like, doesn't get snow, and they barely got anything, and then they, like, had the state of emergency, like, shut down everything's, like, don't drive on the roads, like, we can't handle this, and yeah. it's, like, you got, like, two inches, dude, like, fucking deal with it. Yeah, it's like, it's like when Atlanta gets snow, it completely shuts down, the city doesn't know what to do. It's pretty funny to be around. <laughs> So, I mean, something, you know, I kind of mentioned a lot of the bands that you've been in. And, you know, I kind of wanted to go back to kind of where it all started. What got you into playing drums initially and, and you know, kind of the, the beginning of, of your passion for music? Uh, that question is pretty simple. Did you ever see the Basket Case, basket case video from Green Day? Trey Cool, like a motherfucker. That stupid Phil right before the last chorus of the overhead shot of him playing drums. Oh, yeah. That did it for me. Okay. Um, I mean, that right there kind of did it for me. And then, um, you know, started playing pots and pans. Um, I filled in for, I filled in for a teacher band when I was in middle school for like an assembly. And did that, you say like, a te teacher band? Yeah. I played a rock and roll from, <laughs> played rock and roll from Led Zeppelin. Okay. And that actually, that actually kind of started like the whole, um, Hey, call that like, you know, how I filled in for people like on a whim and stuff like that. This was the first time it ever happened. Sixth grade teacher bands, drummer had a kid. Like and they said, can you learn rock and roll by tomorrow? So I pissed off my whole family. Learned rock and roll that <laughs> night in my bedroom, and then uh, and then played it the next day. And that's kind of just how I went about it. And then you know that was like the first live show where there was like more than four people. And then I'm just like, man, this rules. I want to do this as much as possible. So out of curiosity, like you know, you end up playing with people who are older than you, obviously teachers. Yeah. Did that? You know, I've often wondered, like you know, like. I, Growing up, I was a person who gravitated to more older people in general, to my peers. When you have a situation like that where you get to play with people who are older than you, do you find that you kind of started gravitating toward musicians that were maybe more advanced than the people maybe in your own, like in your own peer group? Um, you cut out there. What was the question again? Oh, sorry. Uh, it was just okay. basically that... Uh, Wondering if, like, you know, with you playing with people who have been potentially playing for double your lifespan at that point, did mm -hmm. it kind of jump, like, you know, kind of shoot you in the arm to be like, man, this is the kind of caliber of people I should be playing with, like, oh, always? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you, if you would ask my parents, like, I was always, I would always gravitate towards, you know, older people, especially in whatever I'm working on, because, you know, um, there's wisdom that just comes with age and experience and especially in the music industry, the tour and even just touring. Like you could tell somebody that's green in touring. You could tell somebody who's green in just interaction with people. Um, and as I got older and, you know, going through college, playing sports in college and then doing music and just going over, you just, you emulate and you want to 
be around those who you find successful. So in hopes that, you know, rubs off a little bit and you just learn a little bit and you become successful yourself, you know, surround yourself with great people. It's a stupid old saying, but it, it, it works, you know, what, uh, um, that's the way I look at it. So, I mean, you kind of talk about how basket case was like, your the thing that got you wanting to play drums. Yeah. But what's kind of interesting is, well, maybe some of your tendencies drumming wise may lean towards some kind of punkish roots. I mean, you kind of play predominantly more metal and thrash and, you know, punk kind of stuff, like more stuff, not necessarily in like the Green Day kind of vibe. So what kind of got mm-hmm. you into heavier music as a whole? Uh, band wise, it would be Pantera, Slayer, Alice in Chains. Alice in Chains three... is an interesting one, but those, definitely yeah, a lot it, of groove. Yeah, those three bands, I mean, remember one of the craziest things I've seen in my life was the Extreme Steel Tour, the last Pantera Tour, before Dime got killed. And, um, you know, that tour was insane. That was something to see at my age. And uh, that kind of, I wanted to play aggressive music. I mean, I was, you know, not necessarily an angry person, but I was always like, wired. <laughs> and I wanted to play fast. And the first time I heard Morbid Angel, I was like, what the hell is this? And before that, I heard Fear Factory, and I didn't even realize that what he was doing on the obsolete record was a double pedal. Oh, wow. I was was like, is that a floor tom and one kick? I'm like, how is he pulling this off? (laughs) And then as we just learned and got older, started writing stuff that sounded like our favorite bands. And I'm like, this is the sickest. And then I just kept on going and going and going. And um, got to the extreme stuff where all I wanted to listen to is death metal and Slayer and everything that's fast as hell. And then kind of revisited the uh, the stuff that was more groovy, like um, Alice in Chains and you know Brain and uh, Tim Alexander from Primus, like that type of stuff. Like I went back to you know laying it down and relaxing a little bit. But I mean, at the end of the day, nothing really gets me off like playing thrash and playing pissed off really fast music. You know, that's just just the way it is. Are you a self taught drummer, or did you end up taking lessons? No, nah, I only took one lesson in my entire life. Um, it's kind of a Long Island guy that's just, oh man, his name is eluding me right now. Um, I worked at Guitar Center after I graduated college, and we had a nucleus of like five guys in the drum department where there were drum departments. Um, <laughs> what are those? Yeah, right. Isn't that a yeah, program? Is that a program? Yeah, right. yeah. You got to pay extra. You got to pay extra for it. Um, there was a nucleus of like four or five guys in the drum department that were just so good. And they attracted even better players of all different styles. Like there's a, there's a big gospel circuit in Long Island and we befriended a lot of those guys. Um, you know, Billy Reimer was one of those dudes that worked at our guitar center that we became friends with. And, you know, he ended up having a stellar career with Dillinger. Um, and I do glass. Yeah. You don't like it or you do like it? No, I do like it. Oh yeah. I think it's sick. Yeah. Took a couple listens, but uh, I mean the I production of, the production on it's kind of what weirds me out because it doesn't have that worship and tribute or the coloring book style production on it. So that's what kind of weirds me out a little bit. It took me a little while to get into it. As a Long Islander, I, I'll like I get shit for this all the time, but I've only seen Glastro once, and that was when we were in England at the same time. Me too. Uh, um, I think they're sick, uh, but I'm not like a diehard Glastro guy that gets insulted by the new record if they don't like it. You know what I'm saying? I <laughs> like. There's a lot of people out here that like took it personal <laughs> how the new record sounded. I think the production value is kind of cool. I think what they went for sounds good. And I'm going to say, I think 
the record is a good listen from top to bottom. I'm not going to say it's like it didn't reinvent anything. But no. I, it's a good listen, and I listen to it regularly. I think the fact that they still have Chad and uh, Trevor as their rhythm section is just fucking ridiculous. Like, they're so good. I don't know if you... Well, you said you got to see him once, so I don't know if you got to see him with Trevor and and Chad on drums in, in the rhythm section, but... Whew, it's a solid rhythm section. I think that's what it was. That was uh, 2013, 2012 okay. or 2013. So I'm thinking it was. Yeah. It was great, man. And, uh, you know, they just they just stood one place and just killed it. I mean, I, I know Beck loosely. Um, they're just musicians. They're just absolute players. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, like I said, I think the record's great. You know? I'm hoping they'll play out a little bit more now that they have a, a touring lineup, but... Yeah, it doesn't seem to be the glass jaw way. <laughs> hey, man, whatever works. It's difficult uh, to go out there for a long time these days. Uh, actually, it would almost seem like that's actually, and we'll kind of get to this segueing. Uh, it kind of yeah. almost seems like that actually is the only way to really make money as a musician is to either be a studio musician or to be a touring musician because obviously record sales don't don't pay like what they used to. I mean, it's it's a tight situation, you know. I mean, I'm literally was just on the phone with you know, some of the musicians that I work with and, um, there's such a disconnect between being able to be active responsibly and just being active to being active. You know, um, the days, in my opinion, the days of doing six weeks, seven week tours are over unless you're already established and you're making your money. If you're a young band trying to come up, and you're going to tour for seven, eight weeks, you're going to be not flat broke. You're going to be in the red. You're going to, re- <laughs> you're going to resent the people that you're with because chances are, you know, if you're losing that much money, you're not playing in front of that many people. And what is touring other than playing your shows? Right. And, and I mean, you could, you could pedal the DIY for the music thing all you want, but if you've been doing it for a while and you're going out for eight weeks, just, eating shit <laughs> there's no points it's it's it's, uh, it's i'm not gonna say it's no point because i still do it and i i you know like i love it but it's it's just difficult so i mean you gotta you gotta walk the line you know maybe do a week here a week there if you can afford it get out to the west coast do something with some friends out there like do a weekend jump here go to places that you haven't been so it is productive but um it's difficult to try to do the eight-week jam across the country these days um, even for established bands, you know? So kind of speaking to the bands that I had mentioned that you've been in, mm-hmm. collectively, you've not, maybe other than Extinction, if I'm correct, you haven't yeah. been a founding member of any of the bands you've really been in. You've always kind of been the, the next guy or the fill-in. So correct. what what is it about, because I always think it's interesting, like people who are kind of in your boat, you know, especially like today I just watched the Hired Gun documentary. And so it's, it's kind of been omnipresent. Good documentary. On, on, oh, it really is. It's been omnipresent yeah. on my mind since then. Like I was like, oh, I really hope I get to talk to Mike tonight because like, you know, I just saw this and it really kind of fits. But, you know, with you being kind of a, a fill-in guy, and for those who can't see me, I just did the air quotes. Um, what do you think it is about you <laughs> that kind of gravitates bands to wanting to have you come in and be their, their drummer, like when the, the original guy leaves? Um, I kind of look at it like this. Uh, I, some of the things I have agreed to do are pretty 
like last minute and nuts of a story. Um, like the first blood thing that I did, or even the, some of the unearthed things. And I look at it pretty simple. If I said I'm going to do something, I better goddamn well deliver because if I don't, your reputation is shot and you won't get called again. Right. So the things that I said I would do that a lot of people or most people would be like, what the fuck? How would you pull that off? That's kind of how you make a name for yourself, right. you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's that's basically how I did it. I mean, when I was in Endwell and we needed to – I'm not even going to get into that backstory. But we, <laughs> I got asked or told, however you want to look at it, to – Fill in for uh, fill in drums for first blood. Um, drive DN D's nuts because it was Ghost Inside's first headliner, and um, you know more or less just you know TM but not TM because they had a they had a guy TM in for him. But um, I found that out on a Sunday, and the first show was on Wednesday at okay. Shane in, An- in Anaheim. Mm-hmm. So I picked up Danny, who is now I'm uh, not Danny Maddie, who's now the guitarist for DN drove straight across the country listened to first blood for 48 hours and then walked <laughs> and then walked on and then walked on stage you know what i mean um i pulled that off and that turned into something else because people heard about it and it's just like if you if you if you say you're reliable and you actually are reliable and you know likable if you're not a dickhead and people want to be around you <laughs> then um you know people will continue to call and that's just I want to play, you know, I always want to be playing. I want to continue to play. I would like to play for a career. So if I have an opportunity and I can do it without screwing somebody else, I'm going to try to do it. And if I say I'm going to do it, I better fucking better do it right. <laughs> you know what I mean? so. Do you think being maybe tagged as a hired gun has either helped or maybe hindered you from bands approaching you to start something like from scratch maybe? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a fair statement. Um, in both both regards, I think both regards. Yeah, I think people will be like, "Yo, Cole Scuzz, he could definitely pull it off. Um, he'll make it happen. If he can't, he definitely can't. If he can, he will." Um, other people's like, "Oh man, I want to do this band. We need a drummer. Oh, give Scuzz a call. Oh, he's probably busy." Like, so th- it could happen either or. I've never been in that position before. Like, like you said, Extinction AD is the first thing I've been on at the ground level, and um, you know, I've never been really approached to start a band uh which i mean in all honesty i don't think i need to i don't think i'd want to start <laughs> starting a band new right now is pretty nuts i mean the light the, the light the torch thing is it's kind of great because it is, is sort of fairly new with these guys that i've never known before other than just you know by name right. and recognition but you know they approach this band as a completely new band and it's it's pretty cool um so, yeah, I mean, I think that statement is fair in both regards, actually. So, so I mean, kind of speaking to Light the Torch, I yeah. mean, how is it? I mean, I remember because, like, I was trying to do this when Extinction AD was, like, the main thing because, like, This Is Hell had, is on a hiatus or whatever you guys are doing with that, mm-hmm. other than releasing cassettes, which is, I'll get to that later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, Extinction AD, like, is, is kind of, like, at that level where I feel like you're, you're really growing the band the band and getting on good tours and you know really building that band up and then all of a sudden it was like hey i'm in this other thing and what was weird is like 
you know, you're in one of the few positions for me where we've been friends. Again, I'm using air quotes uh, on the internet across different social media platforms for a while. And so as a result of me kind of seeing some of the things you post, like you would post certain things about like needing gear and asking gear questions. And I'm just like, why? Yeah. Like I would look at it and be like, why are you asking all this shit? Like, do do you need all this for extinction AD? And like, it didn't make (laughs) sense. Like I was trying to like decipher like why you're, being vague but like not being vague and then all of a sudden when it's like the like the torch thing came i was like oh okay now this shit okay now the last like two and a half months of like posts finally make sense like why you're asking like gear questions and and stuff like that and so for how hard was it to to keep the secret of like i'm the new drummer for basically devil you know now light the torch uh i mean I went there and did, I recorded the record, went there and shot a video. Like I'm pretty hands off with the majority of the stuff that they do. Um, so if I'm hands off with one thing, I'm hands on with another. And I kind of just immerse myself in whatever I'm doing. And it's not like something that like I need to be talking about all the time because the way I look at stuff is when I'm in something, I'm in that thing i'm doing it 110 percent um obviously schedule conflicts and other stuff like that when that arises, that gets dealt with but you know i have a show april 5th with this lovely solo artist named tatiana de marie on april 5th she's just like a british solo pop rock type chick and she's amazing and i'm playing with her august 5th so i was just practicing that and that's what i was practicing because that's what i have coming up next um it wasn't necessarily a secret. Um, they definitely said, don't you know, go around telling everybody. <laughs> but uh, uh, so I didn't. And, um, you know, Extinction AD was doing stuff and we were staying busy. And uh, I mean, I just kind of, I kind of just, my time, my playing is really all I have to offer. Really anybody. Okay. So I kind of, when I'm, when I'm doing one thing, that's what I'm doing. I'm really good at compartmentalizing. Like, all right, I'm going to designate tomorrow for practicing this tomorrow for practicing that I have a show here sleep only listen to this because I have to work on that like I'm pretty good at you know scheduling myself and doing what I need to do to come through for every situation that I'm in what was it like because you know you've obviously put out the the video introducing everyone in the band that is collectively now like the torch Mm -hmm. and so what's interesting to me and what I think would be kind of hard even as a, I mean, there gets to a point where like musician wise, you get to be a peer with somebody, but there still would be a point where like, I'd be like, yo, fuck that. I'm still a, like, like Wombacker. It's like, dude, I'm fucking bleeding through. Holy shit. And then it'd be yeah. like, Howard Jones, blood has been shed. That I mean, it's like, there's just such a history yeah. of people that I would be like, I want to like, I'm a fan of all the shit you've done, but I also want to like, just learn from like, all of the shit you've done. And well, I mean, that, that kind of goes with the question and the topic that we were talking about earlier. Like I use the things that they say and the way they go about things as a learning experience. I take it all in before I ever give my two cents because they've all done it. You know what I mean? They all, they've all had their, a good amount of success and they're still hungry. So it's, it's really cool to be around people like that. So instead of just like, you know, talking their ear off, take a step back, do what they ask, add your, add your two cents, see what happens and see what they say. And then move along with that. You know, it's, it's still is a business relationship, but it's super cool to be around people that, you know, you never knew, but knew of 
and that have had success, but are still just hungry and ready to roll and just talented and want to keep doing it. It, you know, it makes me, it makes you a better person and a better musician. If you ask me, what's been one of the biggest things you've taken away from one of those conversations that you have applied since. That is a good question. Um, hmm. Didn't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> no, that's, I mean, that's an awesome question. Um, uh, man, I would almost even have to say patience. Um, cause you know, the, these, like I said, these guys have done it. They know what it takes. They know the right people. They have their plan. Like I said, I'm pretty hands off with a lot of the, the majority of the business stuff this band does. So they're confident. They are so confident in this stuff and so happy with how it came out that, you know, it's understanding how the business aspect side of it works. It's just really smart to be patient and not rush anything because then, you know, you get something that doesn't work or, you know, the inner workings and of the business is difficult to navigate. So I think just being patient and focusing on like really being accurate on the music that you're making and how you're playing it is super important so focus on like yourself playing and while the business stuff is taking care of itself and be patient that's really the i would say the so far the best because remember like all i did was just record the record do a video right and practice with them we haven't done much together just yet you know so so kind of going back a little bit to this is hell i mean it seemed like by the time you guys collectively went on this hiatus or whatever it officially is at this point it seemed like you guys were kind of at like the peak of kind of where the popularity of the band. I mean, like one of the last tours I can think of that you guys were on was actually here with, uh, was it Joffrey? Was it Joffrey Cowboy? Uh, Terror, Hatebreed. Terror, Hatebreed. And every, every time, time I, I die. die. Yeah. From top to bottom, it was a stack bill. And that kind of was like one of the last tours I really remember seeing that This Is Hell did. And it was almost like, man, you just rode like this really good fucking tour. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, we're, we're going to kind of go away for a little bit. So I kind of was wondering uh, what, what is going on with the band? You know, Rick and Travis are, you know, this is hell, you know, okay. the last, iter- the last iteration of this is hell. The musicians were solid band, did some cool things, but I mean, I think, you know, to some people it could have looked like the, the peak of popularity, but you know, the peak of popularity to somebody may not mean the same thing to somebody else. So, you know, the tour was awesome. We were honored to be on it and it was cool. But, um, you know, I think there was a plateau that was going on. And, um, like I said, that goes back to the beginning. You can only do so much where it's not progressing. You okay. know, you can only do like, we did the coolest things for the last few years, but it was just like, all right, what are we doing next? Or what are we doing next? And if nothing comes, nothing comes. Um, you know, like Rick and Travis, that they're, that's their band. You know, I mean, like I said, I recorded a lot of stuff with them. I did a lot of touring, but, you know, on the business side of stuff, you know, booking and all that type of stuff, that's them. I didn't even know about the tape thing until they released, like, the press thing. I'm like, this is sick. I'm like, I gotta get, I gotta get one. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, man, it's it's a tumultuous industry if you want to stay in it and yeah you know uh this is how it definitely didn't break up when things uh when things decide that they're going to happen again they're going to happen again that's about that's about the most educated thing i can say about it 
I'm yeah. hoping you guys will come back soon. Speaking of awesome vinyl, how about this Kurt Angle Extinction AD uh, America fucking... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's sick. Yeah, we just got... I think they look radical. I, they, didn't want I, to have, put, I wouldn't put Kurt Angle on there, but I think that's pretty cool. Well, I think it was because uh, the either the actual band page on Instagram or the label that put it out wrote uh it's true it's damn true extension ad vinyl there it is. White and, blue. Uh, and then yeah, i was like that's rick i was yeah, like I read oh <laughs> the kurt angle reference i love it <laughs> hey man faith killer faith killer was a hulkamania color oh it's true it was fuck i forgot about that so, are, are you so, into wrestling as much as i know travis obviously is into wrestling are you not as, as much. well not as much not okay. as much but i'm uh, i'm definitely educated a little bit on it and when i do watch it i'm like i get interested and it's pretty cool I mean, I definitely, I'm not like, oh, it's fake or anything like that. It's just I'm not like an avid fan like Rick and Travis. Like, they know everything and everybody. And, uh, well, I know Howard is too. It seems like you, you get into bands with people who are big into wrestling. Uh, that, yeah, that and just like Howard's a big MMA guy. That's um, true. Yep. He loves that stuff. And I'm cool with that because, um, like, I'm huge into like health and working out and stuff like that. So, me and Rick. And Pete, I mean, our whole band, Extinction AD, whenever we're on tour, we'll drop the gear and go to a Planet Fitness and work out. And, you know, um, Howard loves to walk and work out as well. So I'm lucky to be in bands of dudes that want to take care of themselves and find time to do so. Because I can't be around people just smoking cigarettes and shoving shivs out of their throat (laughs) all all damn tour. That shit's boring as hell, you know? Fair enough. So it's cool. It's definitely cool. So speaking of people shoving shitty food down their throats and drinking alcohol, uh, wedding receptions. I noticed that... uh... (laughs) How's that for a fucking segue? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I noticed you've been doing this. Uh, I, I can't quite tell if, it, if there's like a DJ and you playing live percussion or mm-hmm. what the actual setup is. But like, obviously you are doing wedding receptions. How did that all come about? Uh, when I was 17, I was working in a catering hall. There was a dude that was doing that. And I just went up to him and I'm like, hey, how the hell do I get into doing this? And he's just like, hey, I take this number, call this guy. Uh, if I ever need anybody to cover me, I'll let you know. And that was when I was 17. I'm now 32. Um, I've been doing this forever. And if I'm being honest with you, it's the only thing that's been able to keep me touring because I just you get paid so well. Um, I get to practice right for four hours. And nobody knows. <laughs> part. I'll be working on blast beats and like molar technique. I'm working on wrist power and nobody will know until I play like a blast beat. And like the one dude who's there with his girlfriend that listens to metal will be like, huh, what was that? Like, <laughs> so, but um, yeah, man, you know, I get home. <clears throat> I have a good standing relationship with plenty of uh, companies. I'm like, you guys got any weddings? And then it's gone from there. And because I've been home so much, I kind of been, not focusing on that, but adding a little more effort into it. Right. Um, like built a website, um, marketed myself a little bit more and you know, yeah, it's just a percussionist and a DJ. Um, I kind of make the setup so it's ambidextrous and the way I go about it is just like, I play different loops for like 16 to 24 bars and then I change it because there's really nothing else I could do. Um, just come up with different shit to do on a bunch of different shit. That sounds cool. And just make sure you're having a good time with the people and then eat some food, have a drink, hang out, <laughs> and then leave. What is awesome. I love it. How often do people come up and say that they can play drums and want to play play along? 
every night at least three or four times. <laughs> and has anyone actually and been able to keep a beat? Yeah, there are plenty of people that are actually good, but the vast majority are awful. But that is part of the job. The part of the job is to enjoy yourself with the people that are there. So, you know, I'll give sticks. I'll, like, I'll help them out. I'll, like, have fun with them. Like, all right, ready? Hit that. Hit that. Like, very few and far between where you run into somebody that just doesn't get it. And I'll be like, dude, you have to get off. Like, <laughs> let's move along. Um, I remember one time the night before a tour when I was touring with that band Endwell. I was doing a, a wedding and the groom was like 6'4", 270. He was like a cop. And he was just banging the hell out of the things and cracked one of my cymbals right before a tour. That sucks. And I'm just like, you motherfucker. And I couldn't do anything about it. I'm not going to ask him to pay for it. Like it, it was just, it sucked. And then recently, this past New Year's, I was doing a catering hall and the guy was playing with me. He could play and he was super cool, but he wouldn't get off. I'm talking like, we're almost like an hour and 10 minutes in. And I finally go to him like, Hey man, do you mind if I finish like, you know, finish the night off? It's like 1245 party ends at one. It's new year's. Like, he's like, Oh, uh, okay, sure. Come to find out that that's the owner of the catering hall. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm like, fuck. I go to the owner of the DJ company. I'm like, yo man, can you tell that dude that I did not know? And I'm sorry. <laughs> it was just getting annoying. It was like the end of the night. I want to go to bed. <laughs> but it was cool. It was cool. What is one of your favorite songs to play to? What is something maybe that like isn't technically in your wheelhouse? Again, finger quotes there for people who are just listening to this. Um, that maybe is surprising that you really love jamming because of just the, the vibe that it puts out. Dude, easy answer. Anything that Bruno Mars does. Oh, God. Yeah. Anything. for like I'm not even like making it up Like for some reason. I even actually... I follow his drummer E Panda and I tag him in a video almost every other wedding on okay. purpose. On purpose. Like just be like, dude, you know, when I'm not playing VFW halls for ten people, I'm doing this and every single time one of your songs comes on, I have such a good time playing these grooves. I have such a good time playing these songs. And I'm just like respect. And like one time he like gave me like a pound uh uh emoji and I'm like, that's what's up. But um I'm also I'm also older, so '90s like '90s hip hop and R&B just fucking rules. Like Blackstreet, anytime oh, a yeah. song, Teddy Riley. anytime, anytime No Diggity comes on, man, just get fucking smile. Or lately, like a uh, one of the DJs I work with is my age too, and every time we do a wedding of people our age, like DMX, anytime like they request DMX, and honestly, any song that gets people going is even sicker. So Matt, think about this. Um, um, Whitney Houston, like old, wanna, early. Yes, okay. I want to dance with somebody. All right, dude. That was where I was going. People, <laughs> people lose their fucking mind to that song, and it's so fun to play when they do. <laughs> you know what's interesting to me is like I always say, like I grew up in the East Coast, and like a lot of the people that I grew up with, like you know, I grew up listening to stuff that necessarily wasn't in my wheelhouse, but like just being, you know brought to it like you know biggie and you know a lot of the new jack swing of like teddy riley and like mm -hmm. you know bell bib devoe and you know most yeah. boys to men Hell and all yeah. that kind of shit and like to the point where like when i had shield on from bad rabbits mm -hmm. and it's like you know like we were talking Love about oh and it's like you know we were talking about like you know all the stuff that they were doing before bruno mars made it popular and it's like fuck man like 
this this style is coming back so it's like i kind of love the fact that like i you know the few videos i've seen it's like you definitely embrace that like early 90s like new jack swing kind of vibe between you and the dj and yeah. live instrumentals and like i fucking dig that like I, i'd be like if you guys do this at a club like i'd be like five bucks cool i'll go see that like dude well that's that's i mean that's kind of how it's before i started touring heavily like me and a couple of dj guys we would do like clubs but um clubs don't want to pay you know, so like, we, yeah, so we stopped, <laughs> I mean, do, doing three or four weddings practically like triples my day jobs by weekly income. So it's just like, I'll do that. I'll do a wedding any chance I get. Like, obviously bands take priority towards weddings. Like I have a ton of weddings already booked, but anytime I do book a wedding or a social function, I always preface that with, Hey, this is what I do. If something pops up, this is what I'm going to do. However, I will do everything I can to find someone to fill that date for you so you're not Screwed. left out to dry. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, man, like I'll take a wedding any day of the week. And it, I, was, I was waiting when we were going to bring up Bad Rabbits. But yeah, like I, <laughs> ma- I, make, I make DJs play that shit because it works for any wet party type setting and nobody knows it that so it's over good. the age of like 35. It's just so fucking good. They're so fucking good. Oh, they're the best. They're the best. So, I mean, you just you actually kind of talked about something else that I wanted to bring up, which was your actual day job. Yeah. From what I've gathered, because we haven't really, you and I haven't talked about this extensively, mm-hmm. um, explain a little bit about what your day job is, because I feel like like your your Facebook profile, like your, maybe it's your Instagram, one of the two, like your, your thing on your like bio, your about whatever. Mm-hmm makes it seem like you know you're you're definitely very passionate about your day job as stressful as it may be and so great way to put it to me what's interesting is i feel like you know a lot of people get and no no offense to anybody listening to this who has a day job for their band but like a lot of people get bullshit day jobs to me like you actually are in a day job where you're making an impact on people's lives and you understand that and to me i do and to me, like that's very interesting. So, I mean, kind of give a little bit about what you do for your day job. If I'm if I'm completely honest, um, I fell into the field as a means to an end between tours, um, and I've since fell for obvious things. What I do is um, I help run a residential care site, which is just a house that that um, cares for developmentally disabled young men. So, this particular site is is uh, just a house in a beautiful little community out Long Island. It's um, it houses six guys with autism. You know, that's basically the main diagnosis for all of them. Um, and <clears throat> they just have to be cared for around the clock. You know, um, like I said, I started the job because it allows me to come and go as I please. Um, there's more hours than I know what to do with if I want them or I could, you know, take off Friday and Saturday and Sunday so I can do weddings. Um, so I'm definitely cognizant of that. I'm lucky to have the job and I don't look like I used to look at it as like, Oh man, I got to work, but it's just, you know, I got to work so I can make money between tours. But I've since like embraced it because it's allowed me to continue to do what I want to do. Um, you know, I furthered my education the last two years within the healthcare industry because I wouldn't mind staying in the, in the, in the, in the field, but it's, you know, it's more or less just without sounding crude, it's glorified babysitting, you know? Um, you know, I'm taking care of six 24 year olds 
you know, that can't really take care of themselves. And it's, it's awesome. You know, I enjoy it. Like you said, as stressful as it is, um, I'm there more than I'm at my own house. You know, um, we take them in the computer, we bring them to the movies, take them to parks, help them go shopping, help them live, help make sure they're safe wherever they are around whoever they were around. And, you know, that definitely comes with some brain draining, you know, after being on site for like 48 hours. But, um, it's a cool job, man. You know, I, our, my guitarist works with me Ian, for extinction AD and, um, drew the singer from straight for the path works at the same house as we do, you know? So it's a, it's an attractive job for people that are in and out. So it's perfect for people like us. What has that job taught you that you have been able to take out of, of that job in that realm that you've been, been able to apply to your own daily life? Patience. 100%. <laughs> Going back to that same word, um, patience. It's, um, not everything that you want to happen is going to happen like that. Um, also, you know, people, people managing, you know, you know, I'm dealing with these guys that, you know, are nonverbal. They can't express what they want. They can't express what they need. They can't express what they don't want. So the ability to read people, um, the ability to, if somebody's having a bad day, not necessarily dismiss them or get mad at them, but like, you know, work it out. And, you know, you know, touring is rough, you know, touring, people get annoyed, people get angry. You got to know when to not be around people, maybe help somebody out, have a conversation with somebody. And, you know, I deal with that on a regular basis with the guys I take care of. So I think, you know, just dealing with people and dealing with, um, you know, what's the best word I'm looking for here? Um, the ups and downs of dealing with other people's lives that you're in direct contact with. Do you think that's that the it, best way to put it? Do you think it has made you more selfless in your daily life? Uh, I feel like if I'm being honest, like a look like yes and no. I mean, there's plenty of times where I was like, you know what? I spend all my damn time doing stuff for other people. I want to do what I want to do for myself. Okay. But you know, I'll be the first one to jump up at anything if something wrong happens around me, because that's what we have to do at work. Like I, I was hanging out with my friend the last time I was in Los Angeles and we were having coffee um, right before I had like, you know, do stuff with like the torch and this woman just straight up tri tripped and dropped her coffee. And within like a second, like I was helping her out, drying her coffee, helping her figure out like where her stuff was, like helping her take the stuff off the bag. And everyone's like, you were up there quicker than anybody even reacted to it. And I'm like, it's not because I wanted to look cool or look like, you know, knight in shining armor. That's just second nature. It's second nature at this point, you know? Right. So, so yeah, there's, there's a little bit of both, you know, it's just like, there's times where I'm just like, you know, screw this. I'm doing what I need to do for myself right now. But, you know, With like you said, second nature of just helping people and making sure people are comfortable wherever they are and what they're doing. So, with you spending so much time with these people, when you leave to go on tour, do any of the things that you end up doing outside of that job, do you feel a sense of, uh, I don't know the word I'm exactly looking for, but like a sense of like longing, like just kind of like, I wonder how everything's going. I, you know, cause like you, you get to, you build a relationship with these people and, you know, being away from them, I almost feel like, would like, 
be like being away from your family to a degree. Um, yes, but to a degree of more of uh, safety because in the, in that industry, it's very hard to be fully staffed. It's very hard to keep people at the job. So one thing I notice every single time I come home, everybody that works there full time as their main profession mm-hmm. is complete, is completely burnt out because you know, myself and Ian, the guitar six nation AD and even drew from stray, you get three dudes out of maybe seven that work at this house that could be gone at any given moment. So when I'm away and I'm thinking about the job, I'm feeling a little remorse for the people that work there full time, which is why when I am home, every time you probably text me or talk to me, I'm at work because I'm trying (laughs) to help out. I'm trying to help out and relieve my coworkers that I know I put a little bit more of a burden on. However, I got hired under the pretenses of this is what I do. This is why why I'm a per diem employee and not a full-time employee. Um, So they know the deal. So when I am there, when I am home, I'm there 60 hours or more a week trying to, you know, help out as much as possible. So that's kind of the way I look at it. So the last couple of questions I got for you, so you can get back to your your, your day off. <laughs> um, your your social, at least as far as Facebook, and and when, oh, we, when we when we plug social when we plug socials, I don't know if you want people like to follow your actual Facebook page or whatever, but I uh, often, stick with Instagram. <laughs> I often enjoy on Facebook like the the fact that you share a lot of memes and meme culture stuff, and a lot of it is dealing with sports stuff. Um, so what's funny is like, there was something this that took I a better think, turn. I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad you no, brought okay. that up. Yeah, no. Uh, cause I just had Doc Coyle on and we talked about basketball and so forth. And I think either I'm yeah. going to have a lot of people who enjoy the conversation and, and the weird tangents we went down, or yeah. people are going to be like, you should just stick to fucking music and don't talk about sports. <laughs> cause Doc, make, Doc has a tendency to make you sound really stupid by comparison. Um, yeah, Doc's Doc's a smart, smart man when it comes to sport, at least basketball. <laughs> that's exactly what we talked about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but what's interesting though is like you know you share a lot of different stuff and and you know you're you're kind of I mean basketball is typically basketball and football I would say are typically the two sports you kind of lean heavily toward. And mm-hmm. so what's always funny to me is like just kind of you represent sort of the new breed of what I consider like a lot of band dudes doing where it's like, yeah, you may know me for the band thing. You may follow me for the band thing, but I'm interested in some of these other things, you know, and sports being one of them for you. And so what's interesting to me is like, just kind of how you present sort of this new culture of like sharing a lot of memes. And like, there was something, I can't remember exactly what it was. I was trying to go back and find this specific post where you were like why well, fucking share this thing first and like then it blew up and then like you know like <laughs> so maybe i should just be like a meme page because like everyone oh, fucking does it. and i don't remember what it was i mean obviously it was a meme of some sort but like it just had me fucking dying and it's like i to me a lot of people who try to who share a lot of these things i think they're very heavily invested in this meme culture so i was kind of wanting to know like how like how invested are you in it like do you feel like you're kind of like the dude who like like when people share a meme and they're like oh did you see this like dude i shared that like three months ago no (laughs) no no this this straight up i follow as far as the sports meme goes i follow (laughs) it is the funniest shit on the planet to me I don't like for all the internet's faults, people are really creative and funny, like really goddamn funny. Yes. And 
the people that post memes on Black Adam Chef that blow my mind, and when I see them, I just repost them because the shit cracks me up. Like I'm definitely one of those dudes that the second I wake up, ESPN is on TV. When I yes. go to bed, I'm watching ESPN to go to bed. Like um, sports is next to music and food is the only three things I really give a shit about. So, and I'm not even like the biggest basketball fan, but I'm cognizant about everything that's going on. You know, I definitely like I watch. I'm a big Ranger fan. I'm a Mets fan. Whatever. I'm just a sports fan. Um. So I know everything that's going on. And every time I see anything that really cracks me off of Black Adam Schefter, I just, I just, I just repost it. That's really it. Like, it, there's no back end to it. There's no like, I, man. I hope people see me do this. Like, it's mainly for me and my friends because the majority of my friends are all the sports too. And I just post that and I wait for their reactions because <laughs> shit cracks. Anything that happens to do with LeBron or Michael Jordan crying face, that shit just. Kills me. <laughs> or anything. My favorite is um. Anything when the when they just rip on the Cowboys, like oh, I love yeah, that. Yeah. Like I hated the fact that the Eagles won the Super Bowl, but I love the fact that the Eagles won the Super Bowl because Cowboy fans are fucking miserable. <laughs> and then uh, NFL, like I know a lot of shit. Like I'm feeling pretty good about the Lions this year, actually. Like with Patricia becoming on and some of the hey man, you got made. blunt. You got blunt. He's gonna make we're, it when you a Super we're Bowl, not, just like we're, <laughs> we're not gonna not get these third and ones. I know that much. And if we do. Then God damn it, we just need to fire everyone and start all over. <laughs> Dude, I, I, I feel I feel for the Lions, man. Like I, I think we're um, fucking do. <laughs> I something. think I think what's his, I think I'm having a brain fart right now because it's late. I think what's his name is such a good quarterback in the class Stafford. act. I think Stafford. Uh, I loved him at Georgia. Loved him at Georgia. Um, I think he is a class act and a great uh, quarterback and just needed his weapons and maybe he's getting them now, but he needed them when Megatron was on the team so that son of a bitch would have lasted and stayed. And you guys would have been better. Um, my wrestling, my wrestling coach from college is like a diehard Lions fan, and I just—it's so sad to see him depressed all the time. <laughs> okay, so um, cut but, to put a pin on it right there for just Blunt, a second. And he's won the Super Bowl of the last two teams he's been in, so you'll be all right. That's true. He did win from the last two teams he's been on. It's—it's it's one of those things. Like I feel like I'm hoping the Lions are due because they seem to be like some of the other teams in the NFL where they're like, we need to, we need to change our, our culture. We need to be a winning team. And I feel like anything less than winning is, is just not accepted at this point. And I think like the turning around it, it really has me excited as a Lions fan, which has me worried because I feel like they're just setting me up to like fucking be like, God damn it. <laughs> Even more when they don't win. <laughs> I, it, I mean, but I'm not I, a Jets fan. So, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say, man, I don't want to hear your bullshit, man. Between the Mets, Jets, and Rangers, I can't get a goddamn thing. Hey, at um, least, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, dude, the the, the Rangers are tanking, and the Red Wings be... aren't any good though right now either. Yeah, I but mean, you've, you, John... you had a decade, you had a decade of dominance. You're fine. That's true, dude. It's it's insane. Like the whole the the Vegas storyline, I think, is amazing. Um, oh, I love yeah. that. The, I love that the Winnipeg Jets are a sick team now. Um, but. uh I can't, I can't get over it, man. Like, uh, it's a weird thing about the Rangers for me. Like, I obviously like, I'm always busy and like, I don't catch games and there's more games than just Sundays. So I'm always like missing some, but I feel like every time I do watch them, they always end up losing. So I stop watching <laughs> because I'm very superstitious with them. Cause me and my two brothers and my dad, we would go to games and like, we were very superstitious with my best friend. Like Rangers was a big deal. And I'm like, all right, I got to step away from this because they suck every time I actually watch them. Do you and have then, a family tradition or a superstition? And what is it uh, if you do? Um, no, the one superstition that we had was my best friend, Larry, his dad was a diehard. We were all diehard Ranger fans. Okay. And during the Stanley cup finals in 94, every time I sat down, he has, they have a chair from MSG. And every time I, every time I would come over for a game and sit down in the chair, 
the Canucks would score a goal. So, <laughs> so they got rid of the chair. So that's is like this, the only superstition that that thing happened. Like I could never sit in the MSG chair ever. Is this when they had Messier on the team? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. This is when they won the cup. Okay. So, um, but I mean, if you can't win it with Lundqvist, then I don't know when the hell they're going to win it. And they're tanking, and they're gonna, <laughs> they're gonna, they're gonna get rid of everybody on the team. They traded away Nash to trade everybody. So that shot, as far as the Jets go, I don't want them to take Rosen because. It's just like, all right, man, like you got a dude from a farm that went to Wyoming and then you're going to throw him into the big city. Like, I don't think that's going to work. Um, so if, Dar- if they get Darnold, he'll be seasoned with like crazy bullshit. So he might be able to last in New York, but uh, I don't know. Do, what do, you, do you actually feel like the, the environment of your sports city is what kind of leads to the downfall of some of your teams? Like just the yeah. pressure of like, I do. We- do you? Okay. I do. Uh, as far as New York goes, absolutely. Yeah. Because I mean, look it's at the not Knicks. Like, that's that's my sole basis on that. That yeah, judgment. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think especially for the football, it's like you got to live either here, the commute to get to practice and stuff like that is crazy hairy. It's not like just living in Manhattan and go to the garden. Um, as far as the media friendly goes, it's insane. Like you got, inter- uh, I mean, I'm not in the limelight or anything like that, so I can't really speak knowledgeably on it. But I mean, yeah, dude, New York is tough. It's tough for anybody. And if you're going to come in and supposed to be like the savior or a new star and stuff like that, you're going to get ridicule that you've never gotten before for anything. So, do you feel it's something I've never asked someone because I've never really talked to anyone straight up from New York? Yeah. The Giants. I, I tell my wife all the time, I was like, that's basically a New Jersey team because they're in New Jersey. <laughs> uh, at this point in my life, I couldn't tell you who's got a bigger fan base. I don't know. I definitely don't know. I grew up with all giant uh, with all Jet fans. Okay. Um, I know plenty. I know plenty of Giant fans. It also helps that they've won a few Super Bowls. Yeah, that brings but, fair weather um, people onto the bandwagon for sure. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, man. I, like I, I, I'll go with fifty-fifty. Okay. I will. I just I always really, wonder. I don't I mean, know. Same with like Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Nets now, and it's like I'm like I feel like the holdover is still from New Jersey. So it's not really, (laughs) it's not officially a New York team. And the only people that would be like, it's a New York team are the people who would have been following the old Brooklyn Nets from like the fifties. And they're probably not alive anymore. So I'd say not. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, nothing in, in uh, the Barclays is doing well sport wise. Like the Islanders. Yeah. Right. Well, (laughs) Hey man, NXT NXT. sells that shit out every time, every time. Um, But yeah, the Nets can't do shit. Um, Nope. The Islanders are moving back to Long Island. Are they really? Um, they built they bought like a whole plot like next to Belmont Stakes, and they're building like a whole like new town and new stadium for the Islanders. That's cool um, for the for that the area. Rangers, yeah, I think it's sick. Yeah, and the Rangers are going to be the Rangers. You know, hopefully they get some better pieces and become a better team. But uh, the Nets, the, I mean, the Barclays Center is good for entertainment. I don't think it's good for sports. <laughs> Uh, and then the la- literally the last two questions, because I definitely kept you longer than you were planning. It's all good. Um, it's all good. I always like to end these episodes out with a song. What would you like me to okay. end it with? Which song? You yeah. asked me? Yeah. Um, any, oh. any song. The Toys Go Winding Down from Primus. And uh, where can people follow you that you would like them to follow you at? <laughs> um, Charming, Charming Scuzz on Instagram. Um, my Facebook is just my name, Mike Shalera. Um, I am building a website for myself personally as a, as a musician. Um, and it's going to be msgigs.com 
pretty self-explanatory. MSG. MSG. MSGigs.com. <laughs> um, that I'll announce like when it's when it's done, and I'll put it up on my Facebook and on my Instagram. But yeah, man, if uh, you know people are interested in dumb shit that I eat and dumb things that I do, <laughs> it'll be on Instagram. <laughs> what? Uh, I gotta ask. I don't think I've actually come across this. How did you get the name Scuzz? Uh, all right, that's a long story, but I'm gonna paraphrase it. Okay. Um, okay. So I was in college and I wrestled, and um, I came home for a break, the intercession between semesters, and I worked out at my high school, and I didn't shave. I come back for the tour- holiday tournament, and I shaved, and I had ringworm all over my face. Oh. Yeah, so my coach <sighs> called it the scuds. Um, and on top of like the dumb shit that comes out of my mouth and me overstepping the line in conversations, my friends were like, man, you are scuzzy. Like, so that stuck in college. That's how that happened. Fast forward to after college, I was auditioning for Endwell. They, you know how people fuck with each other and they'll yeah. like say psych, psych. Yep. Um, yeah. So, you know, some, like, I think one of the guys was playing like en- the Ender Sandman riff. And I'm like, yo, does anybody remember what song this is called? And they're like, Ender Sandman. And they're like, scuzz. Instead of saying psych. So I let this, I let this go on for two and a half hours while I was auditioning <laughs> for them. And as I'm packing up, I'm like, yo, by the way, why did you guys like say the word scuzz to each other a million times? And they explained to me that. And I look at that. I'm like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. And they're like, why? And then I explained to them how my nickname became in college. So like, well, that's what we're going to call you from now on. And then, you know, four or five years from touring all over the world, luckily with Enwell, that's how I was introduced to everybody. And as much as I wanted a nickname my whole life, 32 and I go <laughs> by the name Scuzz and it's a little fucking weird but I embraced it it's on my symbols it's on my sticks I never got a tattoo on me because I thought that was a little too much of an investment <laughs> but uh yeah so at this point you know I go by it but you know if somebody introduced me to somebody like oh this is my boy Scuzz I'm like hey doing my name's Mike <laughs> like, all right like but do you by all means man I'm sticking with Scuzz for obvious reasons because I'm I invested into it now at least for the music thing so you can call me whatever the hell you want. But well, yeah, man, like I don't want to be introduced to Scuzz. I'm 32 and I'm single. What fucking girl wants to date a guy named Scuzz? Yeah, fuck. I, I do remember getting ringworm once and it being the worst thing ever. And I felt like <laughs> such, I, oddly enough, I remember my mom calling me a Scuzz bucket. She was like, oh, you got ringworm, you're a Scuzz bucket. I was like, what the fuck? Fucking figures. Hey, man, just scrape it open in a little dab of bleach. It's dead by the morning. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, thank you again for taking the hour and a half out of your day to uh, talk to me about all this bullshit. Um, that was fun, man. I thank you. It's definitely something I've been wanting to do for a while. Obviously, I've been hitting up for a while to do it. Yeah. And uh, hopefully, like the torch, whenever... Well, the only thing we can announce is the album's coming out on March, March 30th. 30th. Yeah, okay. Yep. March 30th. I had to look at a calendar behind me. Uh, March 30th, the album comes out, and it's called Revival. And it's out through Century Media, if I'm not mistaken. Nuclear Blast. Nuclear Blast. Nuclear Blast. Sorry. Yeah. And uh, hopefully soonish, the tour that How- Howard was talking about will get announced. And even more, Damn hoping right. you will make it to here in Michigan somewhere so we can hang out and drink dirty forties or something. <laughs> <laughs> Buy uh, thirty dollar beers this time. Next Keep couple months. in touch, man. I'll talk to you soon. Oh, I definitely will. That sounded creepy. <laughs> <You're good. laughs>
So that was my chat with Mike Shulara of This Is Hell, Extinction AD, and currently Light the Torch. Had a lot of fun chatting with Mike uh, about a lot of the different things that we discussed. Uh, one of the things that I was really looking forward to talking to Mike about was actually his his day job. Because having had friends who work at a care facility like Mike does, it was always kind of interesting to hear some of the stories these people would tell. And, you know, it made me feel like shit sometimes when I would complain about, you know, my day job or whatever and, you know, the, the reality of it would be like, yeah, I had a, like a little bit of a rough time dealing with some people because they were assholes. And it's like, you know, Mike has to take care of people who can't take care of themselves. And I think that's a, a really commendable job to do. Um, I, I know I probably would have a hard time doing it because I would get really attached to people. And having seen my friends personally, you know, come from a day of work and... You know, they would talk about how, you know, one of the people at the house is just having a really bad day and, you know, it really sucks. Uh, I think, you know, a job like that really kind of makes you realize how good maybe you have it in comparison to others. And I think that just offers a, a completely different perspective on not only life in general, but how to apply it to yourself to where maybe we're not so self-centered and stuck up in our own ways. Um and I, I I would really appreciate Mike taking the time to actually kind of talk about that because, um, you know, a lot of people maybe wouldn't want to go down the dive of, of that or find that interesting. But uh, it's one of the many things I enjoy about doing this podcast is kind of getting to hear some stories from people that maybe you don't get to hear anywhere else. Uh, and that was definitely one of them. As much as I also really enjoyed the wedding gig stories, uh, if you've never seen any of the videos that Mike has shared of him playing wedding gigs, uh, it is really awesome, and it looks like a fucking blast. I Like I said, I would probably just go see them do that at a bar or something and pay to go see it, because uh, it looks like a lot of fun. Um, all that being said, though, again, thanks to Mike for taking the time to do this. Uh, it was a long time coming, and I'm really glad we got to do it. And uh going to keep this one kind of short. So if you would like to follow Mike across the various socials, you can find him at Charming Scuzz via Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can find him, just look up his name on Facebook and maybe he'll add you and you can see the hilarity that is the memes that he shares uh, on a daily basis. Uh, also, if you want to follow any of the bands that he's involved in, uh, you can follow Extinction AD across the board, just Extinction AD, and Light the Torch, uh, pretty much is Light the Torch Band Official just about everywhere, or Light the Torch Band. Um, so search those. And uh, if you would like to follow our partner, Mosh Pit Nation, you can follow them at moshpitnation.com. You can find them on Facebook at Mosh Pit Nation West, capital M-I, and Instagram and Twitter are simply Mosh Pit Nation. If you would like to follow me, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at John's Entitled Podcast. Uh, again, I'm going to be putting basically the full unedited episode of our conversation up there so you can actually see Mike and I talking more about sports, uh, about how white people can't really dance <laughs> as far as uh, when he does wedding gigs and uh, a little bit more just shit that I cut out of this episode. Uh, and you can also find me on Twitter at John's Entitled Pod or you can email me at John's Entitled Pod at gmail.com. Going to keep this outro pretty short and just kind of get you right to the good stuff. Uh, so we're going to end the episode as we always do with a song. Uh, but I figured I'd also throw in a Light the Torch song at the end since the record is coming out uh, this Friday, March 30th via Nuclear Blast. So we're going to end the episode first with Toys Go Winding Down by Primus, which was Mike's pick, followed by Die Alone by Light the Torch. Again, album is out this Friday, March 30th via Nuclear Blast. 
hopefully with this record release, maybe we'll see a tour announcement following, or in the next week or two, we'll see this this tour announcement that's been teased uh, for a little bit by Howard and the gang. Uh, but without further ado, this is Toys Go Winding Down, followed by Die Alone. Talk to you next week.
And every day I fear this unrest.